in, in I guess in about the past 12 months, I have, I've, I've had two revelations, if you will. Things that have been borderline earth-shattering for me. So profound, I'm not sure I should even share them this morning because it literally may blow you out of your seat. They are just, that's the way it is. I've learned two things in the last 12 months, and one I just learned yesterday, that are they're radically changing my life. Did you know that the best way to peel a banana is from the bottom? blew me away. I, I, I had a friend who came in from out of town and I was eating a banana and he looked at me and he said, you're doing that wrong. <laughs> like, dude, I've been doing this forever. Shut up. I got this. And so as I smashed the banana trying to get the thing open, he said, you're doing it wrong. I'm like, okay, go ahead. He starts at the bottom and the thing peels right open. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, that's how the monkeys do it. That's <laughs> how they open them, you know. They eat them all the time. I'm like, oh. Okay. Trust me, start from the bottom. I've been doing that for several months. Life changing. Anyway. And the second thing, I literally just learned this yesterday. And some of it, now fellows, this may be just for us. I don't know. Okay. Because we're a little slow sometimes. Ladies, you probably in some cases have known this forever. Did you know that, that an aluminum foil container has little things on the sides that you push in? To keep the whole thing from coming out every time that you try to get a piece of aluminum foil. Did anybody know that? See, you did, yes. <laughs> fellas, any guys that knew that? Raise your hand, fellas. Thank you. We got a few cultured men here in the room. The rest of us, guys, listen. Uh, it's earth shattering. When you do that, you know how you pull the thing and the whole, the whole deal comes out and rolls all over the floor and then how in the world did I get that back in the box? You don't. You throw it away and you go buy a new one. That's what you do. They, they got tabs on the side that keep it in blew me up. I've been doing it wrong forever. As long as I've been eating bananas, as long as I've been using aluminum foil, I've been doing it wrong. Earth shattering. And I mean that sincerely. It has changed my life. At least the way that I eat bananas and take out aluminum foil. But, you know, as I, as I think about those cynical shattering moments, the truth is sometimes I realize that in my walk with God, I'm the same way. Because as long as I've been in church and as much as I've read the Bible and as many sermons as I've preached and as many seminary classes as I took, sometimes I still don't get it. And sometimes I still do it wrong. And sometimes I need a reminder and maybe you're the same way because I'm sure I'm not alone. I'm sure that many of us here today are in the same boat as I will describe it as we'll look at the scripture. Though we're well-intentioned, I think sometimes we're convinced of something that's wrong. I think what is it that God really wants from me? What is it that really Jesus wants from me? I think sometimes we look at that and we say, well, you know what? I know he just wants more from me. He just wants more. A little more service, you know, a little more, a little more giving, a little more good deeds, a little more caring about others, things like that, a little more of whatever. Maybe you think it's a little more, maybe it's a lot more, but a lot of us are convinced that's really what God wants from us, just more. And so what do we do? We try really hard. 
to go to church more? Well, I've heard that a million times. And I, I'm just trying to get my life back in shape. I'm going to church more. We try hard. We go to church more. Uh, we, we toss in a little more in the offering plate. We, we volunteer maybe a little bit more. We post a little more about God on social media. You know, we don't break the chain of that one meme that goes around that if you break that chain, you don't really love Jesus. You know that chain? We don't break that chain because if you break that chain, you don't really love Jesus. So we just keep that one right on going. That was a joke. And so <clears throat> we read the Bible a little more. We pray a little more. We, we, we do things a little more because that's what we're convinced that God wants from us is a little more. But I really believe that just like me peeling a banana wrong and just like me not using the tabs on the aluminum foil container wrong, I really think that's wrong. And I really think that we are convinced of something that we've been convinced of maybe for years and years and years and years and been taught and been doing it that way and it's not, it's not right. We think more, more, more. I, I, I'm going to give God more. But what if... What if less is more, or at least what we think is less is actually more? I want you to turn with me to, to Mark chapter 12. We're, we're in a, a series. This is message number 39, by the way. 39 of, of 44. We're closing in. Bible stories that you thought you knew. Now, here's, here's the way this series, I, I hope anyway, has not gotten completely stale for you, is that it's a different Bible story from a different scenario, a different episode every single week. What we've been trying to focus on this year here at Elm Grove is, is understanding the scope of the Bible, its grand story, not just little episodes that are disconnected and really have no, no, no uh, point other than just in and of themselves. And what we've been looking at is how is the Bible connected from Genesis all the way through Revelation and how does each story show us something that God wants us to see, not only about ourselves, but of course about him and ultimately about Jesus and how he fulfills or fleshes out those things. And so we've been looking at different Bible stories. We started way back in Genesis. We're now to the point in the, in the chronology where it's right before the crucifixion of Jesus. In fact, what we'll look at this morning is the last public teaching that Jesus gives before he goes to the cross. So his public ministry, from a teaching standpoint, is ending with the verses then the episode that we'll see today. And so that, that's kind of where, where we go. I want you to look first in, in Mark chapter 12. Look at verse 38. Verse 38, Jesus it, it is recorded here. He also said in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who want to go around in long robes and who want greetings in the marketplace, the front seats in the synagogue, and the places of honor at banquet. Now, just stop right there for just a second, by the way. They were not Baptist. <laughs> the scribes, they did, nobody wants the front seats here. Right? I tell people all the time, and, I, and, and this is a total side note, I never look at you if you sit in the front row. It's uncomfortable for me to look at you if, I'm, if you're in the front row. If I look at everybody else, you're in the perfect spot. Now, you might get spit on every once in a while, but you're in the perfect spot. I promise I won't pick on you. But anyway, these scribes, they wanted the best seats uh, in, 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 the, uh, in the place. And, of course, they're, they're all in, in, in the back uh, for us, but they wanted the front seats. Uh, the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and say, Long prayers, just for show. These will receive harsher punishment. This just points, really, as, as, it, as Jesus closes out his teaching ministry, he's once again going to have a problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. I don't know what you know about Jesus and his ministry, but one of the, one of the things that stands out 
is his adversarial relationship with the scribes and the Pharisees. Those guys were, the, were basically the religious leaders and teachers uh, in, in Judaism. And he had a problem. He's always calling them out, always rebuking them, always telling people, don't be like them, beware of them. Why would he do that all the time? What was the problem that he had with these religious leaders? Well, part of this points to it. They like to be seen by people. They did religious things to try to get attention. They, they, they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that they were something. In fact, these scribes, it says they, they wanted everybody to recognize them. The tradition was that when the scribes came down the street in their big flowing robes, that everybody would have to bow. They would have to give them honor. Boy, they loved that. They, they made sure to follow the rules, but Jesus commented that their hearts were as cold as ice. So everything's on the outside. They're just interested in being viewed religiously in any way as better than everybody else. And Jesus would call them out for things like their religious traditions and their protection of their religious buildings that was more important than their devotion to God. And so Jesus hated all that. He, he wanted internal transformation far more than he just wanted simple external conformity. He wanted love for the lawgiver rather than just love for the law. And he came to save sinners, unlike the Pharisees who just wanted to condemn them. And so he's always using contrast like what we're going to see here in just a minute. And if I'm living back then, I'll be honest with you, some of this might have been a little confusing. Because the guys that he's talking about all the time were good religious people. They, they, they followed the rules. They were there every Sunday, if you will. They were the folks that everybody would say, man, I'll never be as spiritual as they are. And Jesus taught what seemed to go against everything that the scribes and Pharisees, these religious people, these religious leaders and teachers taught. It surely got confusing at times, certainly for his disciples. But what Jesus is going to show us today in the last public teaching that he gives, I think is just reiterating what he's been teaching all along. When he began to teach in Matthew chapter 5, it says, Jesus sat them down and he said, you've, you've heard it said this, but let me tell you really what it means. Let me tell you the heart behind it. Let me tell you how that's going to affect your life. And I think that's what he's going to show us again. And so look with me in verse 41. It says, sitting across from the temple treasury, he watched how the crowd dropped money into the treasury. So he's sitting across from it. Uh, they, they've got these collection boxes and he's sitting there and he's watching how. He, he knew, of course, and he knows now that money was and certainly is a window to the heart. I, I, I think it's been said a million times and probably a million times accurately that if we trace what we spend or don't spend our money on, we'll find where our heart is, right? You know who originally said that? It was Jesus. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so he's sitting there watching people. Just get the scene for a second. As they come into the temple complex, they're giving their offerings, and Jesus just sitting back watching, it says, how the crowd dropped in the money. And he's watching all the time, not just what we're doing, but how we do it, how the crowd dropped in the money, by what means, in what way, and for what purpose. You realize that Jesus knows not only what we do, but why we do it. Now, I tell you what, if you need to be scared today, you just realize Jesus knows every single thing that you do, and he also knows why you do it. 
the good, the bad. He knows all the reasons. He knows your good motives, your bad motives. He knows if that's fake or if that's genuine. He knows every single thing. And so he's watching them on that day as they put their money in. And it says at the end of verse 41, many rich people were putting in large sums. Now, this was not how we collect the offering here, by the way. You know how we kind of do it on the down. And so you, you can kind of slide your check in. You can put your cash in somewhere. You kind of wad it up and step, set it in the offering plate and then pass it real quick. You know how you do that? And then you've got the envelopes you can put and put those face down so nobody's looking. And if anybody does look in there, you're looking like, what are you looking at? You know, some of, they're just making change. It's okay. And so that's not how they collected the offering back then. They had these different receptacles that were shaped like a ram's horn. And so it's sort of like a trumpet kind of thing, the trumpet they had back then. And that's what they would drop the money in. And so it says that lots of folks, the the rich folks were coming and they're putting in large sums of money. And so if you picture this musical instrument collecting these coins, you can imagine that those who were rich were putting in lots of coins and putting in the heavier coins. And so it made lots of noise resonating as these rich folks come through and they drop their money in. Clangs around making lots of noise. And I'm sure it would have been really impressive probably would have caught the eye of the temple leaders. And it still does in some cases in churches today. Those with the money tend to be in control. Unfortunately, that is sometimes the way that it goes. Somebody makes a large donation, everybody's really impressed. We name something after them and oh, you know, we all this kind of stuff. I don't know if these folks were like that or not, but maybe they were completely genuine. But Jesus is about to use it as a really, really good teaching moment. And it's not just a teaching point about giving, although we'll see how that plays out. He's so wise, such an incredible teacher, that he's going to use it to show something beyond the simple act of giving. And because of that, just so you know, this isn't a sermon against being rich. If you've got lots of money, praise God and then use it for his glory. And it's not a sermon really even just about giving, although it's kind of included in this, so... Let's just keep going. Verse 42. A poor widow came and dropped in two tiny coins worth very little. Widows back then, by the way, you kind of you want to make some notes. We're just going to do this verse by verse. Not to break it up, but I think to make some, some, some points about the, the history. Widows back then were in a really bad spot. Very difficult, I think, for us to imagine and transport ourselves mentally to a first century Roman culture, Jewish culture even, that was so different and and so far different from the way that we experience it now. A a woman who was widowed back then had no chance at, at economic survival, really. She would have been dependent either to remarry or fall back on some family, and so apparently this woman had not been able to do that. And so she has very little. She puts in two coins, it says, that are worth very little. And in fact, these widows were often taken advantage of by the very people that God commanded to take care of them. And that's what he talked about back in verse 40 about these scribes who devour widows' houses. They would say, hey, you know, I'll, I'll take care of your money. I'll manage your money for you. And you know what they did? They skimmed it all the time. That's what they did. They took a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. They took advantage of these ladies. And so as a result, what you're dealing with is the poorest of the poor, the most vulnerable person who could walk up to the temple complex that day does and drops in two coins. And Jesus says that's worth very little. And he knows that. He understands that. Most people watching, of course, would have paid no attention to this woman. It's just another poor widow doing what poor widows do. And that's tossing in just a very little amount. 
into the offering. But Jesus watched and observed something completely differently. Verse 43, it says that he summoned his disciples to himself, which means he calls them over and says, guys, I've got something I want to share with you. There's something about this Jesus is going to point out, and it's sort of like the coach calling the team together and says, guys, look, I've I've noticed something here. And he looks at this widow and he says, you know, I've noticed something about her that I want to point out to you. And guys, let me just tell you, if that's all that you have to give, then don't worry about it. Just forget it. If that's all that you can do, please don't be an embarrassment to yourself. Don't be an insult to God. Just keep your money. If that's all that you have to put in the offering, then why on earth would you give? It's not going to make any difference whatsoever. Please, if that's all that you can do, just stop and, and make sure that you teach that sort of thing. It's not in any way what he says, is it? Some of you are thinking, he's got a different translation this morning. A little bit. Wait a minute, what's he, what's he reading for? Is that in the Greek? What, what's, he, what's he reading from? Look at it. Summoning his disciples, he said to them, I assure you, this poor widow has put in more than all those giving to the temple treasury. For they gave out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she possessed, all she had to live on. Jesus, I would imagine, if he fleshed this out, maybe he did would say something like, you know, I'm sure all these folks making all the noise with their offerings probably think that they are because of the amount giving more than anybody else. But, but when I'm watching, when I'm paying attention, he says, when I'm evaluating, sometimes less is more. She gave less, but ultimately she gave more, Jesus says, than all the others combined because she gave all that she had to live on. She held nothing back. They'll never miss what they gave, Jesus said. They gave out of their surplus. That's their leftovers. They're not not, not even going to miss that. She gives everything to the Lord. It costs her everything. And I think that's really the point that Jesus makes here with this final public appearance. Now remember, he's about to go to the cross. What's he going to give on the cross? Everything. Why would he highlight someone who gives everything because he wants them to understand that's what he's about to do and that's really what he wants? I think this highlights what Jesus wants from us. What he really wants. Maybe you've been confused. Lord, I've been doing more. I'm trying to do more. What, What really do you want? And I think it comes down very simply to what does Jesus really want from us? And I think it's unconditional surrender. I really believe that's it. As I read the Bible, as I look at the ministry of Jesus, as I look what he's called us to, as I look at at his unconditional surrender to the Father as he went to the cross, I think that's what Jesus really wants from us. I don't even think it's more money. I don't think it's more time. I don't think it's more church attendance. I think it starts with unconditional surrender. Now, we fight this. We don't really like it, I'll be honest with you. And most of us sitting in church every single Sunday don't really believe that's really what he wants makes us uncomfortable. Just like any army that, is, that, that has been demanded, you will surrender unconditionally. Whoa, 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 hold on a second. Now look, we, we, we understand maybe we've lost the war here, but we're not surrendering unconditionally. That means you can do to us whatever you want. It's very rare that an army will surrender unconditionally. We like to have some sort of agreement in place before we surrender. Like, okay, what do I get to keep? 
What, what do I get to hang on to? How, how, how can things not change as much as I know they're, they're going to change? And in our walk with Jesus, sometimes it's, you know what, as long as I can at least a little bit, or really kind of a lot, still do things my way, then I'm good with mixing in a little Jesus. That's cool. I can do that. But that's not in any way what Jesus demands. Jesus doesn't say, hey, you know what, if it's not too much trouble, kind of mix me in every once in a while. Just to make sure that you're good. You know, make sure everything's covered. He doesn't do that in any way. He shows up on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Turn from your old life. He shows up and he says, come follow me. And the disciples leave their nets. He says to the rich young ruler, you've done a lot of good things, but I don't have your complete devotion. Sell everything you have and come follow me. He says to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Made brand new, your old life gone. He, he tells all of us in Luke 9, deny yourself. He says to lose your life so that you may find it. He says, seek to be last. It's a whole lot different than just sprinkling in some Jesus, isn't it? A whole lot different from walk out of here and just try to be a better person because God's on your side. It's not the message today. The scribes wanted to put on a show. The rich got a lot of attention. But the poor widow's complete and unconditional surrender is what Jesus desired and what he applauded. You see this playing out in her life and her actions here in three different ways. Her surrender was very trusting. Her surrender was trusting. With her gift here of giving everything that she has came the reality that she could no longer provide for herself. That's all that she had to live on. She's going to have to trust that God will take care of her. She's relinquishing control of her life. She's now completely dependent on God. Her next meal was even in doubt. Where would that come from? She would have to learn to depend on and trust in God. And it's as if as she tosses in those two coins, she's saying, Lord, I trust you with everything. All that I am and all that I have, that, that's yours. And certainly if there's anything that's clear in Scripture that God really wants from us, that Jesus taught, it's that we need to trust God. And of course, this would be the kind of trust that Jesus would display as he goes to the cross. Her surrender was also sacrificial. It cost her something. As Jesus said here, the other people, they, they gave. And he doesn't discount their gifts. But he says they gave out of their surplus. Didn't cost them anything. Didn't hurt them. They're not going to miss it. A large amount, yes, but still a small percentage of what they had. This lady gives everything. Hers was a sacrifice that none of those other folks could even fathom. And again, that's a preview of the sacrifice that Jesus is about to make. Giving all for sinners. There's no, there's no halfway, by the way, with Jesus. There's no one foot in and maybe one foot out. I don't really know. There's no halfway. It's all or nothing. There's always a sacrifice, by the way, to following Jesus. And in fact, if I'm being 100% honest with you, it will cost you everything. It will cost you everything. Some of you might not come back next week, and that's okay. <laughs> We start talking about things like this, like, whoa, hold on a second. What? I'm a good person, you know? Leave me alone. My responsibility, of course, as you all well know, is to preach the Bible as it is written. As I believe that God says, here's what it means, not what I want it to mean. I really, 
in my own selfishness and my own sinful nature. I really don't want it to have to be unconditional surrender that costs me something to follow Jesus. I'd just like to sprinkle in some Jesus, get my fire insurance from hell, if that makes sense, and live my life the way I want to live it. You dig? That's why I'd like to do it. That's not what the Bible allows me to do. That's not what God's word allows me to do. That's not what Jesus allows me to do. It's unconditional surrender that will cost me something. In fact, it will cost me my very life. Paul said, I no longer live, but I've been crucified with Christ. And even though I still live in the flesh, I am no longer my own person. I live now by faith in the Son of God. It costs you your very life. Her surrender was also, as we see here, very complete. Very complete. She's all in. Proving so by letting go of what most of us hold so very tightly, right, is our money. She gave everything. No one else knew. She wasn't drawing any attention to herself, but Jesus knew, and he acknowledged it, and he approved of it. Because as she does that, she says, I'm surrendering everything. It's complete. There's no other gift that day that was complete like hers. No other life that was completely surrendered to God. Jesus, of course, would ultimately demonstrate this as he prays on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, let your will, not mine, be done. Complete surrender. And maybe now, like me peeling a banana, not realizing the tabs on the what we used to call Reynolds wrap. Some of you still call it that. Not realizing it's got to, maybe maybe it's starting to dawn on you. I, I've been doing this thing wrong with Jesus. I've been going about it wrong. You've been peeling it from the wrong end, so to speak. Trying so hard, doing more, 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 instead of completely surrendering your life to Him and letting Him do through you what He wants. And now it's right in front of you there. What Jesus wants is unconditional surrender. Not just more church attendance. Not not more giving. Not just more activities. Not just more service. Not just more good deeds. Although all those things are certainly an extension of the life lived in Jesus Christ. But at its core, Jesus is looking for you. All of you. In absolute and unconditional surrender. I want to give you this morning as we close three questions to think about this week. Really just for application, just to, to, for us to kind of say, all right, how is it that this is going to make a difference in my life? Because now you've gotten the truth, okay, so, so here's the, the now what. First of all, what are you still trying to control? What are you still to control. Instead of trusting God in unconditional surrender, what are you still trying to manipulate and trying to control in your life? Many of us would say, well, I'm trying to control a lot of the people in my life. I really want them to do this, and I'd like them to think this way or believe this or that or whatever. I put these questions out on Facebook. Some of you were gracious enough to answer them and give some examples, and that was one of them that came up over and over. I'm, I'm trying to control people, what they do, what they think, what they believe. Others are trying to control situations and outcomes. Okay, if I do this, then this is going to happen. I'm in control of this. I, 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 I've, got, I've got it together. Sometimes we're trying to control how we're perceived by everybody else. I want them to think this about me. And ultimately, I think many of us are trying to control God. By what we do, what we say, what we think, the things that we participate in. 
How is it that we're still trying to control everything on our own, navigate life on our own without full dependence and trust in God? Secondly, what are you holding back from Jesus? This isn't as as overt as trying to control something. It's real easy to identify, okay, yeah, I'm a control freak, and I know I've got these issues, and I, you know, whatever, okay. But, you know, I come from a long line of worriers, and we try to control stuff because there's, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of anxiety, whatever. This is a little more subtle. What am I holding back? It's a little easier to determine what I'm trying to control because that's, that's a, a proactive kind of thing. I'm going after that. What I'm holding back, however, I can hide. Nobody really knows. I wonder what we're holding back instead of sacrificially surrendering everything. What are we holding back? Do you know the, the two things the folks mentioned on Facebook? One was everyday life. I'm holding back just the everyday things of life from the Lord. I, I, I go to church, I do these things, I show up, and then, eh. Just everyday life, though, it, it just kind of on my own, do my thing. And the second was money. And I think both of those, it kind of sums it up, doesn't it? But we like giving Jesus access to our Sunday mornings sometimes. Sometimes. But we're not so sure we want to let him have everything. What are you holding back? Is it everyday life? Is it... Your money management, is it your future, your relationships, your thoughts, your decisions, your temptations? What are you holding back? Thirdly, how are you, where are you just playing the game? Just playing the game. Just sort of getting in uniform, if you will. Just kind of pretending. Instead of complete surrender, we go to church. We give a little money. We put on a religious attitude. We do some of the right things. We follow the rules. We, we, we try really hard to just do more. Sometimes, if we're honest, we're one person at church and we're somebody different elsewhere. We're just sort of playing a game. Or we're acting like a Christian. And young people, hear me on this. We're acting like a Christian because it's expected of us. Or because it's acceptable or because it's required in some cases that you act that way. Let me encourage you, don't grow up playing a game. That's not from me. I believe that's from Jesus. Don't grow up playing a game and just being religious. Grow up understanding who Jesus is so that you might love him deeply. The scribes and the Pharisees were opposed by Jesus just because they played a religious game. This morning, maybe you've been peeling the banana wrong. Maybe you didn't know that there are tabs on the box of aluminum foil. Spiritually speaking, maybe you just thought God wanted you to do more and more and more. And maybe finally you're, wow, I never knew that was the way that it's supposed to be. I just need to unconditionally surrender my life to Jesus. To give everything to him, your life and all that goes with it to repent of sin, to die to yourself, to believe in and follow him, to surrender in a way that is trusting, sacrificial, and complete. This week, as you wrestle with those questions, we sang the song last week, and I thought, that makes a lot of sense. 
You probably have already filled it in. It's the old hymn, All to Jesus I Surrender. Maybe this week you'd simply put that on repeat in your mind and say, Lord, all to Jesus. All I surrender. What is it that the Lord needs to do in your life this morning? What has He said to you? Which question is stuck most? What about Jesus and His interactions here stands out to you most and He's speaking to you very clearly? How is it this morning that you need to respond? Is it to repent of sin? Is it to let go of a particular area of life? Is it to relinquish the supposed control that you think you have? And by the way, our control is an illusion. Is it to let go and say, all to Jesus, I surrender. I give it all to you. How is it you need to respond this morning? Let's pray together. We're going to close with another song that's kind of similar to that. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I wonder where he's leading you this morning. What decision is it? Right there at your seat that you say, Lord, I'm surrendering this. Give this to you. For some, it's your life. Lord, I give you my life. I've been holding on to it for a long time. God, I'm done. I, I, I surrender. Maybe it's another area. Spend a moment in prayer. All to Jesus. I surrender. What is it? Our Lord, this morning, I pray on behalf of every individual here that this week it truly would be all to Jesus I surrender. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Whatever it is. And Lord, on behalf of our church, which sometimes collectively it's harder to do this than it is individually, but Lord, may it be all to Jesus we, as Elm Grove Baptist Church, we surrender everything to you. Lord, may you guide us truly. May you lead us where you want us to go. May we be the church that you've called us to be from this day forward. Wherever you lead, Lord, we'll go. We praise you this morning for your word, for the truth that's found in it, for its convicting power. Lord, I thank you for what you've done even in the past 24 hours to bring these things to my mind yet again. Help us, Lord, to give up our control, to hold on and hold back nothing and to not play the game anymore. May you be blessed by our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.